Ah, yes, friends. On a Monday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast. We are your hosts, Adam Armbrecht and Andy Makowitz. He's healthy, he's wealthy, he's wise. We all know that. But the bottom line is, you know why we're here. The NFL draft concluded over the weekend. You might have seen us over on YouTube doing north of 10 hours of draft coverage. We had over 1,000 views from everybody over there. Really appreciated the level of support and interaction that we got. So we were ecstatic on that. But Andy, now it's about breaking down what we think is the, the big successes or maybe the mysterious picks, the selections, the thoughts, the takeaways. I think there's a range here about what Joe Shane accomplished in his first draft as the New York Football Giants GM. Before we even get to that, Adam, you're right. There was a ton of content. You and I went live together on Thursday. Shout out to Adam Armbrecht for mm-hmm. taking control, taking the wheel over the weekend. And like you said, those 10 hours, the majority of all of that was, was Adam being able to break it down, getting into the nitty gritty of the mid round trade backs while, while, while everything was live. I mean, Adam, a little tip of the cap to you. Great coverage. I know I've already heard from multiple listeners being like, Adam is the man. We didn't know it before, but now we do. <laughs> there were questions. The jury was still there was questions. And then oh my God. he put I'm in the sure work. And we're, we're happy. We're happy here. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. No, listen, man, it was a blast. So like, uh, hopefully, as we said on that, on those, some of the live streams, like want to do more of that stuff. Want to be able to hear from fans more often too. So follow up with us on that. Tell us what your takeaways were, the good, the bad, the ugly of it. And we'll start with what has to be the absolutely perfect of it all. And that was what the giants were able to do at picks five and at pick seven top of the draft the biggest surprise or the biggest wrinkle that I think really set the stage, not just for the Giants, but a lot of teams in the top 10 was the Houston Texans taking Stingley out of LSU. Everyone had big questions around that. A lot of people saying I wouldn't have taken him until the you know 20th pick at the highest. So they do that. And then all of a sudden these dominoes unfold where by the time the Giants come up at five, all three offensive linemen are at the board, obviously. And they're able to go out and get, as we talked about live, an electric player, a big playmaker on the defensive side of the ball, edge rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau. Adam, it couldn't have fallen. I mean, arguably it couldn't have fallen better for the Giants. I, I, I say that with a caveat for, because, um, you know, the New York Jets at number four took Sauce Gardner, which I know was the apple of many people's eye in, in you know, giant country here. But I believe I will, that was the apple of, of the Giants' eye too, by the way. If he had fallen to five, the Giants were taking Sauce Gardner. Now, it doesn't diminish what they did here, but I think that was number one, and then they just comfortably fell into what was probably, you know, literally one dot, 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 point two, you know. Yeah, I mean, you may be right on that, considering the Giants ended up spending a third-round pick shortly thereafter on mm-hmm. a cornerback, so it showed that they did have that as an area of need going into this. But I will say, Trayvon Walker going number one to the Jaguars and then Stingley Jr. going to the Texans really allowed Joe Shane and Dayball and, and the front office to shine. Like I, I truly do think, and, and Adam, I will say one thing that I really got excited about was the Giants could have taken whatever offensive tackle they wanted at five, but instead they said, if we show a little bit of patience, if we show a little bit of resolve here and we take the best player available, the best athlete that is on our board, that is Kayvon Thibodeau, we know we can still get one of the offensive tackles that we need at seven. And by doing that, Adam, he got arguably two of the top-ranked players in the entire draft by doing that. So I, I don't know if you got that excited as much as I did because I love Thibodeau, and I think he's got he's got that swag. But, man, what what a selection and, and what, a, what a way to strategize about how to go about the top picks at five and seven. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, yes, I think I, I think it was a very smart move. Obviously, you didn't get overwhelmed by the circumstance to your point about, you know, oh, man, do we, we know we really want the offensive lineman. I think when you hear the way uh, Ikki Aquanu and Evan Neal were talked about, they were so close with one another as far as a prospect grade goes that you could sit there and say, well, we know we're going to get a really good offensive lineman. If we were to reverse this thing, and listen, this is a process you have to walk through. If we reverse this and we say maybe we really do like Evan Neal, we're going to take him at five, then you have to be able to do the the mental gymnastics of, so what happens at seven? By the way, we don't have a guarantee that Carolina doesn't pivot and go with maybe Thibodeau because now he's fallen there at six in their value board. And then at seven, you come up and you go, well, we have a tackle. Where do we go now, right? You start to talk about potential, you know, quote unquote reaches, some guys and scenarios we had talked about that didn't go until later in the first round as well. So I think to your point, sometimes you can either get locked into a thought process. We saw this happen under Dave Gettleman, right? We like this player or you let value overtake everything in a negative way. So showing balance there was really important. I, I So I, I agree with you on that. I do want to get to specifics on Thibodeau here, but go ahead. Uh, I just had two two quick thoughts for you and it'll roll into, into Thibodeau. One is, as the draft continued to progress in the first round, it made it made Joe Shane's pick look even better because, you know, Jermaine Johnson was expected to be a top 10 pick. And it was like, oh, you know, if the Giants just take their, their best offensive tackle and, you know, Carolina takes Thibodeau, then, oh, Jermaine Johnson falls in your lap. Well, everyone agreed with the evaluation that Joe Shane had because Jermaine Johnson didn't go till the 26th pick. So, like, there were, like, it showed the disparity or the difference between what Kayvon Thibodeau was ranked and where Jermaine Johnson did in terms of like skill and overall ability. And so for me, like that ended up just looking better and better as some of these other edge rushers kept falling down the board. Yeah. And as we continue to look at this, the one thing I'll say is too, I think another thing you're looking at is if we take Neil at five, are there going to be trade backs? There were no real opportunities for that. That became very evident with where the quarterbacks went over the course of this draft. So that's the other thing that you're calculating too, is if I could trade back, and you tell me that I pick up an extra second round pick or a first rounder next year and I get Jermaine Johnson because we see him falling right now. Are they the same like for like player? No, they have different skill sets. But the totality of what you could take out of this draft, I think I wouldn't be shocked if in their heart of hearts, you heard them. Just what were you thinking about? What were the possibilities? What were you hoping for? They wanted a trade down. right? I think the Giants would have liked to have a trade down happen. Now, I don't know if they looked at their board and thought that. Tibbs was going to be there automatically at five, right? We don't know how they looked at the top of the draft unfolding, as we mentioned with Houston. So listen, you probably have what you think are going to be your top two or three scenarios on the board. And every time that something happens, you go, okay, let's slide away from that scenario. Let's move into the next one. Now, now where does our calculation go here and where the best value is? Would have been very interesting to see if teams were trying to move up and what may have happened there for big blue, but specifically with, with Thibodeau, here's what I'm going to say, because you were very high on him. I mean, rightfully so, right? We'd like to say, all these guys in the top 10 you generally feel pretty good about when you're when you're getting one of them. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go to something because we know that he's he's an elite player, he's an athlete. One thing that people talked about, and this isn't a knock on the pick, it's just a relative comparison from class to class. Everyone universally agrees that Micah Parsons is a was a far better prospect coming out than Thibodeau is. And it's just it's just this this range of where that player went when he fell a little bit because of some off-field or personality concerns. Meanwhile, this year, maybe he's a slightly lesser prospect, but there's two angles I want to take here. I'll go on the field first before we talk off the field. On the field, I think the unsung aspect of his game, because we know he's going to get after the after the QB, it's the fact that he's versatile enough to pick up running backs out of the backfield, right? Drop back in coverage. Like, there's sideline to sideline ability for this player as well. So I think that that's actually 
the you know second or third attribute when you're talking about him, rightfully so. But it's going to be just as valuable for the New York football giants under Wink Martindale. So when you look at a player like this relative to say a Jermaine Johnson sets the edge really well, a lot of power can get after the quarterback. Yes. But can he do X, Y, and Z in behind that, right? And that's, I think, what separates a lot of these talents at the top versus the middle and later first round. Yeah, that's a good call out on, on Thibodeau. And look, some of the knocks are he takes plays off, which I didn't necessarily see as many as other people did. But again, does he maybe not give 110% effort if the, if there's a jet sweep going away from him? Like, yeah, I, I understand that. But Adam... The thing about him is like, he's a game wrecker. And what you're realizing in the NFL, it's all about either big explosive plays of over 20 yards on offense or guys that have the ability to turn the ball over or wreak havoc and create chaos for, for other offenses. And Kayvon Thibodeau does that. And, and what I will say is, and we're going to go to the off-field stuff. The first off-field thing I will say is, shout out to Kayvon and, and Sam Prince, who, annou- who announced the pick of, of him being the fifth, fifth pick in the, in the draft. When he got up on stage, Sam Prince, who was, uh, you know, make a wish to be able to, to do it after having open heart surgery, he was so fired up that even Kayvon Thibodeau started getting fired up and they're yelling and screaming at each other about how excited they are to be as Giants. And listen, while that doesn't mean anything, you know, to your analytical mind on the field, as a football fan for me, I could not be more fired up when they made that pick. Well, here's what I'm going to say, um, and because we're going to, it's not going to be brief on Evan Neal, but it's like kind of straightforward on Evan Neal in a lot of ways. And then we're going to, we want to make sure we cover everybody in this draft class. But here's what I will say. I think that, I think that, I think that Tibbs is a, he's a very polished player in, in all aspects on and off the field. I think he gets the PR game, right? When he comes out after and he says, the brand goes out the window. I just want the playbook. I think it can be true. Like this dude, obviously he knows the best thing for what I do off field is how I perform on the field. We've already heard Michael Strahan taking him under his wing is a little bit of a protege. I love that because Michael Strahan did everything you needed him to do on the field. And the only time you ever ran into a, and I'm not, this isn't even an issue was in the latter stages of his career. He said, listen, I'm not going to come to camp. I'll show up. I'll show up for the Super Bowl run, right? Like that's fine. So if you get someone like that, who I think can contextualize what it is to have success in the New York media market. That's a great person to have in his back pocket. Um, I think, I, but I, again, this is a different mentality. 10 years ago, I had this thought was if you had a guy come out like Thibodeau, you'd be going this guy with, you know, with this person out, you know what I mean? Like he might plummet in the draft, but it's a different world now, right? Like Thibodeau's in his early twenties. Like it, it, there's a different approach and interaction and you know, how you are on every social media platform available to you. Right. So like there is a branding to this that some players really know how to lean into and take advantage of. And he a hundred percent gets it. He already knows what he wants his post playing career to be. Step one of that is having a really good playing career. And I, and I, and I think that he's going to do that. Like, I think he gets that part of this as well. Well, Adam, the other thing is, like, it's not that he just wants to, like, buy cars and houses and all the stereotypical things that people say off field. Like, he wants to build schools and, like, volunteer. Yes. And, like, yeah. he want, he, like, he actually wants to be an agent for change. And he keeps saying, and that's what we keep saying. He understands football is the vehicle that allows him to do all these things off the field. He does all this, you know, charity work and things like that. So I don't want it to be, like, he just cares about the fame so that, like he gets to afford all the luxuries in life. Like he, he, he has a bigger plan in life. And I think that's okay. And to your point, that's the difference of this day and age as athlete, as opposed to 10 years ago, I, I do have a question about Thibodeau and then we can move on to Neil with, with Kayvon. When was the last time the giants had a defensive player with the swag that Kayvon has? Like, can you think about what, what was the last 
player that you're like, man, you know what's that funny? guy the has that guy, confidence. Like from from a uh, like from that type of bravado perspective, and it's not defense. It, it, Jeremy Shockey, right? Like he's the last guy that that played that with that kind of attitude, right? The helmet blowing off and the blonde hair, the locks in the wind, and just that that type of energy around himself of like I'm the best player on every given play, right? I mean defensively to think about it again Michael Strahan wasn't that type of swag I think off the field when you heard him talk but on the field he was right when he was dominating people that's as intense as you could possibly get I mean is there someone else that really comes to mind because inside of that like Justin Tuck wasn't that type of personality Osuyumi Yura not that type of personality Matthias Kiwanuka right all really good players for the Giants but even going back to you know, Jesse Armstead or Antonio Pierce, right? Like none of these guys were that type of attitude. And to your point, like, and I think, and I think it's a good thing, right? You want to have somebody that is kind of the emotional leader of, of a team. And especially under Wink Martindale, like he wants a guy that has that type of edge to him. I think. Yeah. I think on offense, Odell Beckham comes to mind where it's like, I know that I can do all this other crazy yeah, I don't stuff comparison because we didn't see the type of successes. So I want to stay with guys that can actually bring the success to the team. Well, no, I mean, but individual accolades, the second Ooh, that Odell stepped oh, up. Oh, that's disgusting. Andy individual accolades. How dare you? No, I'm, 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 oh, I'm like, but I'm just saying the second that Odell stepped yeah. on the field that there's hamstring, he was electric. He caught yeah. balls. He made, he made yep. pro balls. Like he was great. Now, obviously there's all this other off field stuff, but I'm saying that bravado of being the best player and knowing like it, it actually does like, you kind of want to make sure that your team has at least one alpha to be like, this guy's sending us in a direction and it may be like overconfidence. It may be cockiness, brashness, but like, it's kind of nice to have someone with have a little bit of teeth, right? Oh, of course. And what I really love to see is like the way the defense as a whole feeds off of him, the way this, this pairs him, right? It's Aziz Ojolari on the other side of this defensive front now. So when you look at that, you want to see the way other players benefit off it, how their game looks a little bit stronger, how they have a little more swag because they know their coverage assignments are a little bit easier, et cetera. So he's a, it's obviously a phenomenal pick. Goes in, says and does all the right things. There's no reason why this won't be something we look back on 10 years from now and go, that was a really franchise-shifting moment. Just like, by the way, getting Evan Neal, to your point, so the Giants, they they take they take Tibbs at five. Carolina goes with Ikiakuanu. Again, some people, depending on the board, say, ah, these are one and one A. You could have one over top of the other. I'm not keeping this simple. We're going to go in deeper on what this guy is capable of doing for the Giants. But the reason why it is so simple is he's an enormous right tackle, played the position at college. He's going to protect that side of the line. He's going to open up holes for the running game. He's just... He, this is about as consistent and reliable a selection that you could make. And I think to your point about let's be patient, let's get the the freak athlete here and to say nothing of being 340 plus pounds freak athlete with some of the nimbleness that uh, Evan Neal shows though. So I mean, another great pick here and doing what you needed to do, get the edge rusher we haven't had in years and then continue to solidify this offensive line. We think with the other bookend tackle and Andrew Thomas, six, seven, three fifty one played multiple positions in the SEC. It's a 3-4, I, I dismissed him. Yeah, 351. And it's probably because you keep seeing the video of his box jump where he jumps like six feet up in the air and spreads his legs out. You're like, a 6 7 350 guy can do that? Like, it's unbelievable. Adam, you know that I wanted Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau as my two picks, so I got them. So selfishly, I think the first round was an A+. I had them flipped, but but to your as we talked about before, the way the draft fell, if we would have gotten Neil at five, we don't know if Thibodeau would have been there at seven. So it, it all makes sense. Adam, when you think about what Joe Shane decided to address early and often, we knew we needed a pass rusher and we knew we needed an offensive lineman. And he got both of those top tier talents. Like a lot of people said, 
Kayvon Thibodeau might be the number one defensive edge athlete in this, yeah, in this time. Both of these players spent time as the number one projected pick over the course leading up to the draft. So that's right. where you can look at it. Right. Most people said in October and November, at one point, Evan Neal was the number one pick and Kayvon Thibodeau was the number one pick. The Giants walked away with both of them at five and seven. Adam, thinking about Andrew Thomas on the left side and thinking about Evan Neal on the right side, protecting Daniel Jones this year or protecting the quarterback of the future moving forward has to be exciting for Giant fans because this is an area that was just like, it was basically malpractice in how it was handled the last couple of years saying like, we know better than everyone else about our offensive line. Well, clearly, clearly you don't because Joe Shane double, triple, quadruple down and used a premium pick on an offensive tackle. I could not be happier with how things went. I know you would have preferred sauce Gardner to Thibodeau. It would have given a very similar dimension of getting like a top, you know, positional player at an area of need. But I mean, overall, you've got to think that this is what a nine out of 10. Oh, no. I mean, listen, yeah. Again, when you're at the top of the draft like this, it's all home runs, right? Like, it's a, it's all home runs because, like, the, the talent is there and the needs are there. It's, you know, now, and the Giants benefit from having, to your point, when there's Hutchinson out there and you know that there's other defensive talents and offensive talents, I think it kind of, it was this marriage of, like, need and also in a draft that some people say, depending on position, not the deepest class in the world, Thankfully for the Giants, having two top 10 picks, they were deep at two spots the Giants needed where you know you're going to have these fractional differences with Trayvon Walker going number one to the Jags. Then you have Hutchinson, the hometown guy, right? So all these things kind of fall into place. So, no, listen, you knock it out of the park. We're going to go through what they added there in the secondary as well. But I love it coming out of the first round. Now we get into what I thought was a really smart move. And the one thing we'll do here, we're going to hit all these guys. We're going to come back in later in the week and continue to say how did they impact the depth how do they plug into this uh, offense or defensive side of the ball? And where do we think their value can be? At the top of the second round, the Giants were picking at 36. They go back-to-back trade downs here, and they afford themselves to pick up an extra fourth and an extra fifth round pick. The first one they moved down with was the Jets. They came up to get Brees Hall. That wasn't going to bother you here. And in some ways, uh, if you think about a couple other moves that they could have made, potentially would have been someone like Ebikidi if they hadn't taken an edge rusher or... If they wanted to go the route of a cornerback, uh, Kyler Gordon ended up going to the Chicago Bears, and the Giants made that secondary trade, getting themselves all the way down to 43, where they came up and took Wandale Robinson. Now, I- I'm going to tell you right now, and I said this on the live coverage as well, it wasn't a guy that I had on my radar necessarily, so I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, knew the steal was coming, right? But the second that I went and looked, looked at the measurables, watched some highlights, I, like I totally got it, I totally get it, and I totally love it, and I can explain why. But it, even in the moment, understandably, because you had, had Sky Moore pretty high on your board, you were a little just caught, taken aback, as a lot of Giants fans were, maybe rightfully so. Okay, so here's the simple thing. Because this is this is a giant pro-Giant podcast, here we go. I am going to do my one soapbox here about how I had different preferences sure. other than Wandale Robinson, and we can bat that around. But let's just say, after this moment in time, I will move forward and say Wandale Robinson is a giant, and these are the things I'm excited about him being here. Yeah. The reason why I was I was vexed or perplexed or puzzled about this pick, Adam, is because Sky Moore was there. You know, Alec Pierce was still there. There was a couple of different guys. George Pickens, and, and, yeah. Yeah, Pickens was there. And so there were preferences that I had, and I understand Wandell Robinson brings a different dimension to the table, and I understand that. But Adam, without going too far in depth, I want to just say this one thing. The reason why I like Sky Moore in this position is is a few different things I'm going to hit you with. One, 
his Raz relative athletic score, Sky Moore, you know, is higher than Wandell Robinson. Sky Moore is taller. Sky Moore is bigger. Sky Moore runs a faster 40 time. Sky Moore has bigger arms. Sky Moore has bigger hands. He had more touchdowns in college than Wandell Robinson. And also he had bigger yards per catch. So he had more explosive plays. So outside of that, I think Wandell Robinson was a good pick over Sky Moore, but all of those things relative together in terms of measurables, production, and explosive plays, that's why I preferred Sky Moore. It's not a knock against Wandell Robinson. It's just I look at all of those different things, whether it's tangibles, measurables, on-field production, and I sit there and say, there probably was a couple other guys, even Alec Pierce Pickens that we talked about, that maybe I would have gone you know, with outside of Wondell Robinson. And listen, when you, when you mentioned Alec Pickens, everyone knows I was a big fan of him, right? How high is too high? He ends up going a little bit after uh, in, in the second round there as well. Uh, here's the way I'm going to frame it for you. And this is, again, we, I said that I said this to, to, to you in the moment. Go by the measurables. Go by the, the, the projection of this player. Wondell Moore had better hands than Sky Moore. He's a better short, intermediate, and deep threat wide receiver than Sky Moore. Wondell Moore was second only behind one Ontario Drummond, by the way, in yards after catch. So, like, Wondell Moore has all of those pieces to it. And I'm going to go a little bit inside the roster on this one and give you two takeaways. One, I think that the New York football giants and the new regime maybe have a little bit more confidence in what Kenny Galladay can be short-term for them on the outside so you don't feel as compelled to replace them. They didn't move on, at least to this point, from Darius Slayton, so you still have that other big stretch receiver there. And... Even if Kadarius Toney is fully locked, loaded, and ready to go for the New York football giants, it doesn't mean anything for what's going to happen three years from now when it's time to look at the fifth-year option and signing him to a long-term contract. So I think that there's the short and long-term value here because Joe Shane, they came right out. And by the way, I think, oh God, I don't want to misphrase this. He was asked by the media, are you going to be trading following the draft? Uh, Kadarius Tony said, no, we're not trading Kadarius Tony. He's a member of the Giants. And so just to be clear here, you're not fielding offers for Kadarius Tony. And I believe it was, why don't you, is like reflect on my last response, right? That was, the, that was the gist of it. It's like, why don't you take a minute to reflect on what I just said to you? Essentially being like, hey, a-hole, listen to the words coming out of my mouth. And he actually did show a little bit of frustration there, which I like from my GM because he's been honest. He's been direct. He's been thoughtful in his responses. He's been willing to engage. So he's like, yeah, we saw really good talent. We love the dynamic nature that Tony and Ren Robinson are going to bring to the table, mix and match, move them all over the field together. And you can go ahead and stop asking me the same thing over and over again. So it's funny because it was Pat Leonard who keeps asking the question. Yes. And who also and, was the rumored, yeah, who also brought the rumor to the table. Right, exactly. Exactly. So so Pat Leonard is trying to either save face or will this thing into existence at this point, being like, but you're sure. Are you are you totally sure? Like, can I get you to say maybe possibly so then I validate everything that I said? But Joe Shane, Joe Shane's been on the job for like a couple of months and he already has the head shake that most giant fans do about anything that Pat Leonard says, which I think is hilarious. Um but I, I agree with you on not taking Alec Pierce or Pickens or any of those guys because you do have Kenny Galladay on the outside, and there is kind of this overlap. I think the reason why I felt so passionately about Sky Moore is because Wondell Robinson and Sky Moore both project to be slot guys. They're around the same size. They're, they they have a similar skill set. You know, Wondell Robinson had a better catch percentage than Sky Moore, but he also had way more drops yeah. than Sky Moore did. So it's, it's tough, but again, I this is not to pick on – Wandale Robinson because I do think he brings an interesting dimension to this team it's just you know in the second round when you ask me is the second round too early to draft a wide receiver 
I said, no, I would take Sky more in the second round. And here and here we have it. Joe Shane says, I agree. I just prefer this guy right. over Sky more, right? There you go. So as we work our way through, we'll cover everybody here and we'll go in deeper depth. Feels like, you know, the top of the second round, the trade down gets them the multiple picks. They come up at 67. Here's what everyone's going to regard as and there's multiple times that it seems like some, at least Giants fans especially, are going to say that they, they reached. Why are they reaching for this player? I'm going to tell you right now. Almost every single team was drafting to their board, not to the board, right? So when they saw value, you saw Cole Strange go in the first round to the New England Patriots, a guy that we talked about and the Rams talked about. Could you get him at 100? We said maybe at 81, right? Maybe as high as 67. He goes in the first round because they see the player they like and they want to go get him. Joshua Zudu, he's one of the first players that I had on my list of guys to watch. They take him at 67. You can say it's an overdraft here. Certainly, that's your choice. But when you go inside and look at him, what I think you have here in Azudu is a player that's going to come in and is going to immediately challenge Shane Lemieux for his role and is going to push a veteran. He played primarily at left guard, so we'll see what it looks like when you get into training camp. Where is Glowinski lining up? Where is Shane Lemieux even on the depth chart? You know How do these things break out? But he played multiple positions. I think the Giants looked at the value of this player out of North Carolina and said he can come into camp. He can be competing, if not, you know, getting in there and taking the starting job immediately. I wouldn't be shocked if somewhere along the course of the season, you could see a transition to this player on the starting offensive line. Yeah, you would think uh, with this move, Glowinski being signed in the offseason, he's probably, you know, he's played uh, most of his time at right guard, which would make a ton of sense bring in a new offensive tackle on the right side to have a veteran next to him to kind of ease him in, you know, in terms of Evan Neal. I could see Azudu coming in and competing at the left guard position almost immediately, just knowing you know the players that we have on our roster. Obviously, Shane Lemieux is is there right now. I mean, there's even rumblings. I, I saw some different people on social media say, you know, Shane Lemieux started a bunch of games. There's no guarantee that Shane Lemieux will even make this right, final roster. Previous regime, right? Had a good rookie campaign, injured the next year, so no guarantee there. I know 151 on the big board. They take him at 67. Again, this is where I think the value. And and, and by the way. Well, this will all play itself out. But when you see a team take a guy like this with like some pretty good confidence, right? You have to take a step back and go, they must, they must really have liked what they saw on tape to make this commitment. And there's another little wrinkle that comes in here later on. Yeah. So with Azudu, very simply, he's a good developmental guard that could be a starter in this league. You know, I've read a couple different things um, about what he projects, and they say he's really good in the run-pass option, which is something that Daniel Jones is really good at, which, uh, you know, will actually bring out some of, of the good characteristics and traits that Daniel Jones is great at. And and again, we talked about Evan Neal being a, a fix of this offensive line. This goes to show how bad it was when Joe Shane and Brian Dable took over that within the first three rounds, they're drafting two offensive linemen. And, and Adam, I will say, when you see where some of these guys are going, Cole Strange went, you know, in the first round. Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green. These guys were going early because you're realizing more and more that you have to protect the quarterback. 100%, man. So they added a really nice piece again. And this is this is the way I frame this. And I'll say this for the last time before we run through here. It's that when you're so – we're all jacked up on the top of the draft because we all have – it's automatic. These guys are elite talents, great, grand, wonderful. Again, I also want to see both these guys get out there and perform on the field, right? Andrew Thomas, excited in the moment, then a little bit down, then we're right back up on him in year number two. Likewise, for all these picks, it's like, don't react in the moment thinking, why not this player or that player? The best thing you can do is look at the position they drafted, then look at other positions that were at that position that were available and say, would you have preferred another one, right? And we can do a little bit of that. It's like saying Alec Pierce over 
Robinson. Well, not a like for like, maybe Sky Moore instead. I think that's the best way to analyze it from a personal preference, but you have to step back and say they had a needs chart here they wanted to address, which they did at 81 in the third round with Cordell Flott, the cornerback, who I thought, you know, I'll tell you what, man. I said, boy, is he that big? He only comes in at 175 pounds out of LSU, but he's also six foot one, which makes him the tallest cornerback on the Giants roster right now. So, you know, projected to play best on the inside, but has versatility to go outside. Again, a guy that I had seen the name of, but didn't put a ton of, you know, stock into. He was 85th overall. You just talk about where the board had him. Giants get him right in that right spot. I think that he's very much a versatile weapon for Wink Martindale, a guy that plays with a lot of grit, a lot of intensity, and plays with a really smart football IQ. And that matters when you're talking about schematically saying, well, on this down, it's here. On the next down, you're over there, right? Your assignment's going to switch pretty quickly underneath Wink. I think they got a really nice selection here. And it does speak to this secondary room, which we had talked about coming into this draft class as we move through here. It kind of crystallized my takeaways. We'll get to on the backside. Yeah, Cordell Flott. Uh, the LSU fans are like, you're going to like this guy. Like yeah. that's, that's everyone keeps saying you're going to continue to like this guy. I think the, the most shocking thing for just an average fan is on film. He looks very thin. Like he yes. looks like he's very slender because I think he's like 170 pounds and he's six one. So he's got a very, very wiry f- frame. You got to think in the NFL, they're going to, they're going to end up having him put on a little bit of weight, which may increase his versatility to be able to step outside and get up uh, against, you know, some of the bigger receivers because yep. he does have the frame at six, one to be able to do that. I, you could tell that, that the giants know that they need more cornerbacks in Wink Martindale system. You, this feels like a system pick more than it does. Just, just a general. We love the player. Like, yep. you know, he's, he's right in the range of when people thought he was going to get drafted, but we talk about Wink Martindale loving to do some of these schemes where he has multiple defensive backs, primarily cornerbacks out on the field all at once. I like this pick. He's a ball hawk. They say he's going to give 100% on every single play, and the film shows that. Like, he's trying to be all over the field and make as many plays as possible. Giants, you know, address another area of need. And, you know, whether or not you had a preference of a different cornerback at at 81, okay, fine. But, like, clearly Joe Shane and Wink Martindale had an area of need, and they filled it in round three. Yeah, you can look at, you know, when you go through the draft there, uh, Marcus Jones out of Houston went to the Patriots. But again, even you want to talk about small, right? Very specific guy, special teams kind of player. Um, There was at one point along the way here, different positional value at different times in this draft. But to your point, you go back another 10, 15 picks. You don't see until a safety and Nick Cross comes off to the Colts at 96. So, you know, value on the board, what it looks like. I'm not glossing over. We'll circle back to this young man here. They took it 112 when we get into the fourth round. Daniel Bellinger, I like him a lot. He feels like a Giants tight end in a lot of ways. He has just the right amount of athleticism, is going to be able to really get going in the blocking game as well. I think he's the guy you say, just do your thing, buddy. Do your thing, and when you start to get past the first guy on the depth chart, and then maybe you know, whenever your time comes, it comes. To your point, I think this is a kid that just kind of fits into what they want to do. They like having him in there. I'm not dismissing him. I just, there's something more interesting that I want to get to here, quite frankly. Uh, go ahead. If you have, if you have a thought on, cause I think there's a far more fascinating piece here. Well, uh, well for me, you knew the tight end that I wanted was Cade Otten. He yep. actually went six picks earlier. So I'm curious to know the Giants. As was I. Yeah. Saw that happen in real time. Yeah. The, the Giants brought Cade Otten in for a top 30 visit. Don't forget. So Something tells me that if Kate Auden was there six picks later, the Giants were going to get their guy. But they're very similar in, in both are like more heavily focused on on uh, protection, 
you know, having good hands, running a good route, working hard. They're not going to jump off the page with athleticism. They're not going to get down the seam and split two safeties and, and run it in like Kyle Pitts can for a touchdown. But they're going to be like a, this is a right to ship. Don't have to worry about him in pass protection or run blocking. You know, I, I think this could be a sneaky pick, could be a starter, depending on how he pushes, um, you know, Aiken and Ricky Seals-Jones. Solid pick for the Giants. Again, another area of need that they addressed. Yeah, 100%. So we get into just the pick of Dane Belton there out of Iowa. The safety also played down in the slot. The reason why I say I want to hop to him is just because now you look at Flott and you look at Belton and you just say, okay, like, you know, here, here's two weapons inside of this secondary that I think get to walk in the door and kind of pick their spots, right? Let their talent and their skill set dictate to Wink Martindale where he can best utilize them. A really solid pick. Again, another guy that plays heady, plays smart football. You can line him up in a few different spots here. I'm going to hold on the overall thought here on the back end. Because what I really want to get to here to close out this conversation, just on the draft, we're going to dive in deeper as we move along, um, is is the overall takeaway from what you thought this draft told you. So in that regard, um, let's just, I'm going to throw out here, that was the bonus pick, by the way, 114. 147, the bonus pick, DJ Davidson, defensive tackle, big boy, throw him in the mix, know you need a depth. We'll touch on him a little bit later. Just ahead of him at 146 was Makai McFadden, inside linebacker, really strong player, like what he brings to the table, feels like a Blake Martinez-ish kind of like mold replacement guy, really thick in the run game, uh, has some nice moves for him. We'll Again, we'll address how he fits in. The reason why I moved through it is because one, at 173, the Giants drafted Marcus McCaithen out of North Carolina, where Azudu also happened to play. He's a little bit more developmental, but a big boy. They basically said like the consistency on a down-to-down hasn't been there, but the skill and the talent is certainly there. It's just my mind goes to, oh, two guards out of the same school that played together that maybe a year from now we just see them sitting there on the left guard and right guard position for Big Blue. There's there's a little bit of, I think, method to this of let's pair some of these guys together. The same way that you talked about certain teams want to draft certain players because they felt like they were from the area, bring them home. This just feels like bring familiarity into the team. I, I liked that pick as well. Any thoughts on just that, that, that group of players before I get to what was my steal of the draft? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the simple answer with some of these guys, and we'll dive into them, is offensive line was addressed yet again. Uh, again, it shows how bad the offensive line is if we're just constantly drafting more and more of them. Obviously, some different linebackers are in play for the Giants. Uh, you know, There are areas of need. Joe Shane continued to address them, and we'll go through why these certain players. But I know there's one guy that you're very excited to talk about. Well, that is one Darian Beavers out of Cincinnati. He was the other guy out of the list of players they brought in, shy of saying Evan Neal and uh, and Thibodeau, that I had on my list, had my eye on. And we got back to 182. You can go check the live feed, got it up on social media. I was absolutely elated when they brought this kid in. I think that, uh, again, this to me is a steal of the draft in the same sense that we talk about what is Thibodeau going to bring to the edge rusher position. Listen, we're not talking about taking a guy at 182 and thinking that he's going to have the same level of impact necessarily, but 130 on the overall board gets taken at 182. So this is real value falling to the Giants. Six foot four. He's listed at 237, but you can already see some things are reporting him at 245, 250. So I think he's already started to bulk up since coming out of college. He has maybe you know, half a step away from being a sideline to sideline linebacker. But when you think about him, even with McFadden there, this is the first linebacker the Giants have had in you know a long time. You look at Tay Crowder and you go, well, he's faster. Yeah, but he's tiny as hell. 
Darian Beavers can come in and be the size, the range, the coverage that you want to have out of that inside linebacker position, I just look at him inside a Wink Martindale system and go, this is going to be a home run hit. I expect, like, I am not, now whatever, I'm going to put my name on it. Like, I think that he's starting at the inside linebacker position potentially at the beginning of the year here, depending on what happens with, with, with Martinez. You could be talking about McFadden as well. I think that he has a significant role for this defense going into this season because of what his skill set is and also the openings at these positions for Big Blue. It feels like his athleticism available at 182 was really yep. tough for the Giants to pass up. You know, not, I mean, not to go into backstories, but when, when he was playing in high school, he was playing wide receiver and safety, right? Like yep. those are the two positions he was playing back in the day. And then like, they're like, oh, you're just like a freak. Let's put you in the middle of the field and you could just make plays all over the field. And so that's the type of athleticism you're getting. He will be pushing Tay Crowder early in camp for one of those inside linebacking positions. He does feel like a guy, even though he was drafted in round six, that there is the ability for him to carve out a role faster than even some of the guys that were drafted in front of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, especially just on where they are on the roster and the depth, certainly, and expectations. All right, listen. That's the draft. There's versions of this we want to do where we say positional value at, at you know pick X, Y, and Z. What would you have liked to see happen? We'll flesh this out a little bit more. How would we have built it differently? There's two ways to look at it. Go totally different. I would have said I would take a wide receiver in the fifth round or whatever it may be versus potentially saying if I had to take a guard or a linebacker, was there someone else there that I wanted to get to? But at the end of the day, what we want to close out on is our overall sense of this of this draft class and what it, what is it indicative of? What does it mean for the way that we look at the New York Football Giants? Um, and, uh, listen, I'll just say briefly. I think that it speaks to what what I kind of said coming in when Joe Shane was drafted. When you're a new GM, there's no allegiance to what was there prior from the previous regime, and as we already know, the fourth to seventh rounds account for a third or more of a roster combined with undrafted free agents that we're going to get to, I'm talking about 40 to 45% of roster turnover here potentially. And that's a new regime saying, yeah, we're turning this thing over. So while I like a lot of the talent, set the expectations as this is a transitional year for a lot of positions for the New York football giants, rightfully so. It makes me very excited. And it also, I think, says the reality. And I'll, I'll, we talk specific positions here, but how'd you feel? Well, to your point, Adam, and I'll just touch on that the two tradebacks allowed Joe Shane to get more developmental players that he could bring in to start getting his imprint on this team faster than, than maybe, you know, normally would be. So yeah. I think you're totally right on that. What I think is fascinating is Joe Shane is as authentic and genuine as you can possibly be. And the reason why I say that is because when he says Daniel Jones is our quarterback this year, guess what? They did not draft a quarterback. They didn't draft a developmental quarterback. They didn't do anything. They didn't waste any picks. He was true to what he said with Saquon Barkley. We want Saquon Barkley. We told him he is a big reason like for, for why we see you know things moving forward here. We did not draft a running back in this draft. So when Joe Shane tells you something, you should listen. It's not a smoke screen. He is as genuine as, and authentic as he can be with the guys that, that he says he wants to keep around in the, in the areas that he wants to draft. I agree with you on Saquon Barkley because there's a lot of talent at running back in this draft. And I said, if Saquon Barkley's on this roster, you cannot waste your time drafting a running back. He didn't do that. I thought that was really smart. When it comes to Daniel Jones, if there have been more talented quarterbacks in this draft, I think it could have looked a little bit different. So you can be balancing the two sides of it there. It's to say nothing to be dismissive of, of Daniel Jones and what they want to do. But as we saw the way the quarterback room fell, right? If you thought there was higher value here, I think you could have seen them take one. But to your point, 
There's so many positions of needs on this roster that you need to fill, and you had to address them here. And by the way, just like with Saquon, it's a year from now, we'll tell you how we feel about some of these right. things. But I think you're right, though. He is very authentic in his approach, how he talks about what they want to accomplish, short of saying, we'll be taking player X, Y, and Z here, and this is what we want to do, and we do or do not like Saquon long-term, et cetera, right? As true as you can be within reason at the GM spot. My last little takeaway is just that the, the, we talked about this leading up to the draft. All of a sudden, you and I start saying, well, inside linebacker, that's where, you know, the defensive tackle, but this, you know, the secondary. I think my big takeaway is while if the board had fell differently, I think they would have taken Gardner. And for that reason, I look in the secondary and I go, ain't nobody got a spot on this roster in that secondary. You brought in two more players in the middle rounds that I think are going to push for roles, push for starting jobs. Darnay Holmes, you're on notice significantly here because you're playing out of the slot, right? So a lot of turnover can come there. And then likewise, inside linebacker specifically. Cam Browns of the world, the Carter Coughlins, the Tay Crowders, right? The TJ Brunson's like, hey, fellas, I don't know. And we're going to get into the undrafted guys. You you may not make it out of camp here. And that's and if that's the way it has to be, that's the way it has to be because you're turning over a system and you're also turning over timelines here. Guys that are already two years into their rookie deals, right? We need to reset the clock and see if this talent can be here and be a part of things two, three years from now. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, and we use Carter Coughlin as an example because he's kind of like one of those guys that I know a lot of Giant fans do love, and we want to see him succeed. However, when you think about Wink Martindale's system, he may say, we need better athletes. We need someone that can get to the quarterback more frequently than someone like Carter Coughlin. We're bringing in a ton of competition. None of you guys that were fringe 53-man roster guys, none of your jobs are safe, to your point. We, there there could be three or four different guys in the secondary or in the linebacking crew that were part of this team last year that are not going to have roster spots as we get out of camp. You better believe it, but Carter Coughlin can still be a captain on defense special teams. I think that that's a nice role at the back end of the roster. Maybe he starts taking uh, some snap reps. I'm just saying there's ways to keep the guy around, right? Uh, we're gonna Listen, we're going to break down, especially the back end in more depth. How did this impact the depth chart? Who got shuffled back? Who it feels like they're jumping right into an immediate role and an impact play? All week long, man, we have so much that we want to break down, let alone some of the really big, I think, undrafted free agents that they brought in. Also, that being the case, though, man, again, appreciate everyone who showed up for the live streams. We're going to be doing the offseason content. This is now the new next most exciting time for Big Blue because we start to think about what are the expectations for all of these young players. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on social media. Like YouTube. Share it with your friends. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.